Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Congregational Care Minister Keith Maloney. Nobody's perfect, but God can do anything with all of us, and I'm the chief example of that. Good morning, Greenville Oaks. I'm glad you're here. I'm Keith Maloney, one of the ministers here at Greenville Oaks, and we're continuing our journey through our series called Churches That Heal, based on the work of Christian psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud, and we're thankful to be doing that because we believe that this needs to be a place where every single member of this church and those outside can come and experience the healing that God intends for us to know. And we need to be consciously about that. I heard of an older preacher who had retired from ministry not long ago. And when he did, he decided that he would help with funerals. He had a little experience in that area, but he became a mortician. And he was having coffee with one of the members of the church where he had preached for a long time. And the guy said, hey, are you enjoying what you're doing now? He said, well, yeah. He said, I mean, it's, I miss ministry in some ways, but in other ways, this is real satisfying because I feel like what I, what I do lasts more than when I was in ministry. And the guy had a real puzzled expression on his face. What do you mean? He said, well, like when I was in ministry, there was old Jim Jones who was always having a struggle with alcohol. And we would, you know, get him sobered up and, and get him in a program. And he would straighten up and be okay for a while. But then it wouldn't be long before here we'd go again. Just have to repeat the whole process. And George Smith, he and his wife were always having these horrible marital problems. And I would give all kinds of attention to them, counseling session after session, and would give them materials and we would send them to seminars and they would finally work things out and it would be okay. We'd, they'd get all straightened out and then went along where we were doing it again. Or the guy that never could hold a job, you know, would get him a, find him a job somewhere and he would get his finances in order after a little while and get things all straightened out and then he would lose it. Here we'd go again. And he said, but now when I get somebody straightened out, they stay straightened out. (laughs) That's a silly little story, but it shares a real truth. The only people that don't have problems and experience hurts and disappointments and pain or those that are no longer alive. Because every single one of us is going to experience pain from disappointments, from hurts, from incredible struggles that we have in life. And we understand that's the way it is. Some people don't want to acknowledge that. They, they don't want to accept that that's the reality that we're entered into. And so they think that their life should be nothing but smooth sailing and everything should be wonderful. And 
if something's wrong, then something's wrong the way they look at it. But that's not the way it is. That's not looking at life in a realistic way. We all are going to have hurts and pain. Sometimes it's because of things that other people have done to us that we had no control over. But it's extremely painful. Sometimes it's because of unfortunate choices we have made that have some very hurtful outcomes for ourselves and those that we love. Sometimes it's not because of anything we or anybody else has done to us. Sometimes it's just because of things that happen, natural disasters or diseases or things like that. But we're all going to experience pain. Years ago, Scott Peck, in his bestseller, The Road Less Traveled, began his book with this sentence, life is difficult, period. And then he went on to explain that once we begin to accept that and truly understand that that's the way it is, life is going to be less difficult. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 16. He was the night before he went to the cross. He was talking to his close disciples, his, his nearest followers. And he, he said in verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And then later in verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. When we understand that, doesn't make all our problems go away. It doesn't keep us from experiencing pain, but it does equip us to not let that pain disable us and crush us under the disappointment and the discouragement. This morning, we have a, a real, real blessing. I've asked Woody Dunlop to come and share a part of his experience in dealing with pain. Many of you know Woody and Becky, his wife, uh, and their story. Uh, those of you who don't, uh, four years ago, a little over four years ago, they lost their oldest son in a tragic shooting on a Sunday afternoon down in Plano. And if, if you don't remember that or if you weren't here then, watch this news clip from our local CBS station that happened the day after that shooting. And Woody, would you come on up? Right out of the gate tonight, we are learning new details about the people shot and killed in Plano Sunday night during a Dallas Cowboys watch party, including two men who were in the gunman's wedding. Plano police releasing the names of all of the victims tonight. We begin with Dan Haggerty. He's live for us in Plano. Yeah, we talked to the father of one of the victims, a person who, as you mentioned, was in this suspect's wedding, also a person who helped plan this Cowboys watch party, the last place that his father thought that he would be in any danger, surrounded by, he said, his closest core group of friends. When we first showed you this post from Meredith Height's Instagram page, wishing her husband Spencer a happy anniversary, we didn't know that the best man in the background of this shot was one of the people Spencer killed in this house. I don't know what Spencer was trying or accomplished or what he was thinking. Woody Dunlop talked to me outside of his home in Allen, said his son James and Spencer and Meredith were best of friends, along with another victim, Ryan Morgan. There was nothing, anything at all that I'd ever have worried about, not with that group. 
good bunch of kids and friends. I'm you know, glad that uh, I got to know all of them. Dunlop told me he knew Spencer well. He had guns and knew about the divorce because it was his son who took Spencer in for three weeks following the split. Not angry at all. Um, God is good. And I mean, I'm sad. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, I'm not, not angry at all. It's, it's a tragedy. But uh, I have complete faith um, in the Lord and James is in a good place. And Mr. Dunlop told me that the day before the shooting, he spent that entire day with his son at the TCU game, just the two of them. I don't think I have to tell you what that memory means to him. Reporting live, Dan Haggerty, CBS 11 News. Absolute heartbreak, Dan. Thank you very much. Right out of the gate tonight, we are learning new details about the <clears throat> Wow. What was going on in your head and your heart that day? Um, i just say that uh, the pain is still here. And that's what, kind of what I'm going to talk about is every time I just put a thought of James in my head, it just, uh, as you can imagine, it's hurtful. But um, just give a quick backstory. So we moved to Allen in 2002, came from Lubbock. And in Lubbock, we went to, Becky and I went to one church and the boys went to another one. They went to South Plains Church of Christ. I'd never been in the Church of Christ. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you, it scared me a little bit, but that's okay. Y'all, I think you understand what I mean. <laughs> so we came here, and I said to the family, I said, look, the first thing I'm going to do is we're going to the same church. I don't like this going to different churches. Immediately, James looked at me and said, Dad, man, that's a great idea. I'll be at Greenville Oaks. I hope you make the right decision. <laughs> so, we, so obviously, we were here. Um, just the backstory to that. So... That was taken 21 hours after James was killed. 18 hours after John got a call from some friends that said there was a shooting at Meredith's house and the survivors were in the hospital. It was six hours when we finally found out that James was not a survivor. And that afternoon, Brian Womble, who was integral to a lot of things in my life since I joined this church, Came and I just looked at him and said, Brian, the only thing I can tell you, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I can tell you this, no one's going to doubt my faith. Because <laughs> it's real. Um, so we took that, uh, did that interview, and it was the only interview that I did because um, it turned out to be exactly what I wanted everyone to know. P prior to that, Years before, I've had two associates, one that I worked with and one was a customer of mine. Both had tragedies in their life. First one was Terry Gannon, Odessa, her son, was acting just crazy, running through their house. They were trying to figure out what was going wrong. They couldn't figure out. Next thing you know, he comes flying down the stairs, runs out in the front of his house. Terry and her husband run out after him, and he takes a gun and killed himself in the front lawn as they watched on the porch. And I remember going to that funeral thinking, oh, my gosh, how do, how do you deal with that? How do you figure out that? And she was just a wreck. I mean, rightfully so. I mean, there's no, no combination at all. I was just trying to deal with how to deal with that. And the second one was a woman by the name of Faye Miller who I called on. She ran the AFI's uh, office at Fort Sill and Law. <laughs> she had kind of a similar, her, her son ran out of the house, went down the kind of corner. She got looked at to see what was going on. Um, whatever happened, he shot himself too. And I went and saw the Faye 
right after that. And I just, she was just as calm as can be. She was just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was like sitting there to the face. I just don't have any idea how the heck I could do that. I mean, I don't know how you think. And she just kept telling me, what are you, I got the Lord, I got God, he's with me, have faith. Well, that was a couple of years before James and I had, I stopped calling on her. My jobs had changed. And I got a call one day and there was no hello. It was just, remember the time you sat in my office and told me that you didn't think you had the faith to deal with this. Well, I just saw, she looked up the clip. And she didn't know, but she, she knew that, you know, after her son had passed, she became looking at all the killings, you know, the school killings, whatever happened, just out of just curiosity. And she saw the Plano one, and then she saw a name in there, James Dunlop. And she said, Dunlop's not that common of a name, especially being in Plano. So out of the blue, she calls me and she just said, hey, remember that day you sat in there, told me that you didn't have faith? Well, I watched that clip and I think you have plenty of faith and you need to admit that you do. So those two things, um, in retrospect, obviously had something to do with it. But after um, the next, or that day, as soon as the news got out, I mean, it was just, our house was filled with our friends and family from this church, members I didn't know, other people. But the truth of it is, Becky and I hadn't been coming to church here for a couple of years. We were at Revolution, at, uh, Grace Revolution Church following Joseph Prince. And the astonishment on my face was, wow, you know, what did we leave? And that just went into being able to join the small group that we've been in to this day. Um, the love and caring of those people, all the people. It's just, you don't know what you don't know until you have to face something. And they've been with us every day um, that we've, you know, since this incident's happened. And then, you know, kind of how, how you deal with pain. Um, you know, it's real and it doesn't go away. I can promise you that. Um, my family deals with it. You know, one of the hardest things was during the memorial service, right before I got up to talk, son John got up and he said a few things, not very many, it was very quick. But one of the things he said was James wasn't going to be there to stand next to him at his wedding. And that hurts more. I, I always, you know, I don't know, I'm a fixer. I'm a, don't touch my family. I'm, you know, might have not a godly thought. You know, Becky tells me all the time, that's not what Jesus would do. And I understand all that, but, you know, but I realized that I can't fix anything uh, that God can. And uh, just know that it's been 1,609 days since that incident. Convert that into hours, it's 36,862 hours. And the pain continues, and, and just like, you know, I probably watched that clip a thousand times. I might be lying. It might be two thousand. And every time I have a, you know, I see a picture of James, it's it's very hard. But you know, I look behind me and I remember the day that uh, James and I got baptized. Um, grew up in a Presbyterian church. My parents baptized me. Came to Greenville Oaks and learned through all of you that you know I should do it. And James and I did it together. But if you want to know what fright looks like, I can promise you this. If you'd seen the look on Galen Jones, who baptized his face, when he was trying to figure out how he was going to dunk me and not make me drown, <laughs> I, I can promise you, I, I mean, I wasn't scared because obviously I knew the Lord was with us, but um, 
you know, I got, I'm here, so everything survives again. It's okay, you can, you can relax. But just, just that, just any reference. And I, you know, we used to sit in at my favorite chair on a couch at the house and watch TV. And the greatness was was when the door would open, James would pop in. You know, he never was, he never really told us when he was coming. He would just show up and just the jeer, the pure joy of that. And and that was. Um, just kind of what you know I missed, and I talked to him every day. I talked to him while I'm driving. I talked to him on there, but you know, there's not a day that goes by that uh, I know that he's in a better place and that God has us um, in everything we do. And it's just about faith, and I just keep talking about faith and continuing on with that journey. Um, so then, you know, for the last couple of years have been kind of a wreck for the church and life and everything, just with COVID, and. Uh, at that time, I uh, picked up the leadership of our small group, so I started leading that. And, um, you know, we didn't know whether we wanted to meet together in person or whatever, so we started. Along came the story, 31 chapters. And I'm leading, and Keith, you know, sends it out, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, what do I do with this? Because, honestly, Becky is the, she's the Bible expert. I mean, she, you ask her anything, she can tell you, she has a comment or an opinion about everything. I said, but I'm real good, at, I'll t- be honest with you, I'm real good at, if you give me a book of a Bible, I'm real good at telling you if it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, but, and then I'm, I'm actually 85% correct, so I think I'm doing okay, right? So I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to, how am I going to teach this to a bunch of people, friends that are far advanced to me? <laughs> and I had a boss that told me one time, if you want to know, if you know something, try to teach it. So what this forced me to do each week was to delve into the Bible. And what a better thing as you're trying to grow your faith to just start at, you know, Genesis and, uh, you know, go all the way through to the end of the, uh, of the Bible and, and teach it to people that you trust and love and don't want to disappoint. Um, so it's, that part was good. And then here in the last uh, few months ago, uh, we got involved in the Rooted Group. Um, and what I'll tell you about that was, Beck and I tried to get into it before, and then COVID hit, so we kind of left it out. And we were on a vacation. Keith calls us, hey, you showed an interest before of, of being in, Co- in the Rudy group. And I said, well, we're on vacation. I'm not going to make the first class. Is that okay? Yeah, that's great. And I said, okay, no problem. It's just another Bible study. We can handle this and do all this. Well, um, if you haven't been rooted, and I would suggest if you haven't to join rooted whenever it comes available, it's a little bit more involved than uh, just a Bible study, but the experience is unbelievable. And what I would say is our ladies, Keith and Cindy, um, Keith, I just do want to acknowledge you in front of the church. There's one constant in my life here at church in this since I came here, and that's you. You're, there's other people that got involved and helped, but there's, right? you were here when I watched your first sermon. That was when I decided to join and you've been here ever since next to me today. So I appreciate that very much. And on top of that, James Brown. I mean, I could sit up here and tell you the greatness of James Brown for a couple hours probably, but the real greatness of that class was the people. I mean, I was sitting there just going, you know, listening to their stories and hearing what they've done. I'm, I'm just sitting there again. I couldn't do that. How could I do that? There's no way I could do that. And every time they finish the story, how they did it was faith that God had them and faith that God was going to get them through. And every time I do something or change or ha- have anything, it's coming back to me time and time again. Maybe the one of these times I won't forget it and I'll have faith 
in everything we do. But it's faith that conquers all. And it's faith that's gotten me and my family through this incident. Woody, thank you so much for sharing with us. I know that's hard to do. Father God, thank you for Woody and for Becky and the amazing faith that they have that does conquer all. God, you are so good. In our darkest days, in our bleakest hours, you are there to sustain us and support us. And we praise you for the way you've done that and the lives of Woody and Becky and their family. Uh, God, continue to provide healing. We know the hurt will never completely go away, but we know that you can continue to provide the comfort and the peace that this world can't understand. And we thank you to see that in Woody and Becky. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Let's thank Woody again. What an incredible, incredible story. Not many of us have or will know the pain of losing a child, thank God. But we all know our own kind of pain. Maybe you've experienced the heartbreak of divorce and that relationship that was the dearest on earth to you becomes irreparably broken. Maybe you've experienced uh, the difficulty of having a child that uh, has gone away, doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Perhaps you have know the hurt of abandonment from a parent or a child or a spouse. Maybe you have experienced injustice or betrayal or repression or abuse. Whatever it is, we've all known that pain. Sadly, we often respond to that in extremely unhealthy ways. Sometimes what we want to do, but we're just totally unequipped to deal with the pain in our life. And so we just deny it. We don't have the resources, the strength, or the ability to engage it. So we just push it aside, pretend it's not there, and keep going as if nothing is wrong. Uh, sometimes we don't deny it. Sometimes we do the opposite of that. We react in a way that judges everyone and everything. Many times people tend to be binary. It's black and white. It's either good or bad. You see this when people get married. They're, that infatuation, that blush of love makes them idealize their partner. And they see nothing wrong. Everything is wonderful. Everything is perfect. Not really, but that's how they see it. And because of that, when, when the infatuation wears off, when reality sets in, there's a realization that they're not. And when they get hurt by that one that they have placed on that pedestal, they decide they're just horrible. They're evil personified. Sometimes we don't deny the pain. Sometimes we don't judge the pain. Sometimes we just get angry and we shoot the messenger 
or we withdraw, or we do all kinds of things. We rationalize and we excuse and we defend. But none of those are healthy ways to process pain, which we have to do if we're going to experience God's healing. Uh, What we need to do in processing pain, and we've got just a couple of minutes here, is first, we need to be realistic. We need to honestly recognize the reality that it's there. I have to admit it. I can't pretend everything's okay. Sometimes people are in horribly abusive situations, either physical abuse or mental or emotional abuse with their mate, and it could be the wife or the husband, either way. And they're in excruciating pain. Or maybe they've got a child whose life has just gone off the rails and they've tried everything they know how to help get them back. Nothing seems to work. Maybe there's an incredible loss, a loss of a limb or your eyesight or your hearing, or maybe it's not anything physical. Maybe you've lost a job or a career or somebody that has been so important to you is no longer there. And it just, it hurts so bad. And you don't know what you're going to do. The first thing we have to do is be honest about it. Don't put great pictures on Facebook and Instagram and put the mask on when you're around people and pretend everything is wonderful. Denial doesn't allow us to process the pain. In Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 4, a very, very wise man said, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. The house of pleasure is what we want to do to escape the pain. That's why people go to the bars to medicate, just to get it numb. Maybe that's not what you do. Maybe there's sexual fulfillment or adventure that you want to pursue. Maybe what you do is just some extravagant spending or you go to exotic places or perhaps, and this is a very respectable way to just pretend the pain isn't there. You just bury yourself in your work and you're going to be so successful in your business and in your career that you don't have to think about the hurt that's eating away at you. We've got to acknowledge the pain is there. Don't turn to the house of pleasure. Go to the house of mourning. And the second thing that we have to do is not just acknowledge the reality of the pain we've experienced, but we've got to do it with others. We've got to find some people that we can depend on to love us and accept us and give us grace and mercy and the kind of support that we need. Did you hear Woody talk about the people that came into their house of mourning? It's not just what you do alone. It's not just acknowledging it and getting out of denial on your own. It's doing it with other people that can support you and encourage you and love you and maybe challenge you. We've got to acknowledge it 
We've got to find a safe place to deal with our pain. And then finally, we've got to be very, very honest and open with those people who have the spiritual maturity and the wisdom to help us work through it. In James chapter 5, James says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He's not talking about forgiveness. If you have been bought with the blood of the Lamb, if you have been cleansed by the cross of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. But that doesn't mean you're healed. And to experience the kind of healing God wants us to know, that God intends us to experience, it's absolutely essential that we confess. When I have done some things wrong that have brought pain into my life and hurt into the lives of other people, I've got to confess that. I've got to acknowledge that out loud to somebody I trust. And I not only do that, Sometimes I need to just share what I, I haven't done anything wrong or I'm not in this situation, but I have been deeply hurt by someone else's actions. And I need to be open about that and work through that and process it. Scott Peck in that book that I mentioned, The Road Less Traveled, says this. Um, he says, how strange that we should ordinarily feel compelled to hide our wounds when we are all wounded. Community requires the ability to expose our wounds and weaknesses to our fellow creatures. It also requires the ability to be affected by the wounds of others. But even more important is the love that arises among us when we share both ways our woundedness. May God enable us at Greenville Oaks to be a place where we share our woundedness so that the healing that God wants us to experience can be known. Paul put it in these words in 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for sending your comforter to us so that by your grace, we can experience the healing you intend for us to know. Keep us from being sucked into the deception that the enemy wants us to believe, but instead let us provide for one another and for all who come here
a spirit of mercy and acceptance and love so that they can experience the wonderful healing that you as the great physician alone can provide. In the name of our wounded healer and precious Savior Jesus, we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.